You're listening to Mitnick's Monthly Brushstrokes, a podcast on the art of outsmarting, the fun part that sets you apart. I'm Keith Mitnick, author of Don't Eat the Bruises. For more information, visit keithmitnick.com or email me. It's kmitnick at forthepeople.com. Hello again, everybody. In this episode, I want to talk to you about trip and fall cases where we have open and obvious defense, where they're coming along saying, you ought to have been looking where you're going, and if you had been, you'd have seen it, and so it's your own fault, you clumsy oaf. We know that defense. And I'd actually developed this in a case I tried with uh, my partner, Matt Morgan. And we had a lady who tripped on a sidewalk that had been pushed up by some roots that had pushed it up. And it was on, it wasn't a, a like a county or a city sidewalk. It was in a, a business complex. So it was privately owned. And this rise had been there for a couple years and there'd been complaints about it. And the, the owners had not gone out and fixed it. Uh, they hadn't even spent a few pennies to go spray it with some exciter colors like red or yellow to make it more obvious. Um, on the other hand, this happened in broad daylight, sunny day. And this thing was sticking up, I bet you, five inches. I remember when Matt showed me the, the uh, sidewalk lifted up, the picture. I remember my first reaction was, uh-oh, they're going to be fighting hard for heavy comparative, and who knows, they may be able to pull off a win. And I did what I always do. I said, cut it out, Mitnick. I believe in our client. Our client's hurt. These people knew about it. And it's not fair for them to blame her. And it's doubly unfair if you fall into that trap. So settle down and think about it. What about these circumstances will prove to your satisfaction? Because if I don't believe it, I ain't going to say it to a jury. So how do I first convince myself it was 100% their fault? And then how do I convert that so the jury can understand it and reach a just result? And what I'm about to share with you is how we got there. Because we had a significant injury. Our client uh, broke a bone in her, in her face and ended up with um, loss of a sense of smell. And I didn't know this until that case. But 80% of your sense of taste or more comes from smell. So when everything tastes like cardboard. Now, of course, they contested everything. They didn't do anything wrong. It was all our client's fault. She wasn't really that badly hurt. Her smell must have come back, you know, just across the board, defend everything. But this I want to talk about and focus on was the open and obvious defense, which was their big go-to defense. And here I want to start you with what I had to say to myself, and then we just converted into a jury discussion. And this is what changed the whole thing for me. And it's a principle I suggest to you in every time you face something where it looks like, whoops, we got a problem, you buck up and you say this to yourself. I believe in my client is right. I believe they're trying to exploit this to reach a wrong conclusion. What is the right conclusion here? And to get there, it almost always comes from an intense focus on the circumstances. 
So I started thinking about the circumstances. And I realized at its core, what they're saying is you ought to be looking where you're going. And the more I thought about it, the more I realized, well, that depends on the circumstances. If I'm walking through a junkyard with a bunch of rusty metal and old nasty mufflers and broken glass, maybe even a possum jumping out with his teeth gnashing at me, if I'm not watching every step like a hawk, like I'm walking through a minefield and I kick up against some rusty metal and get tetanus, it's on me. Because under those circumstances, I better be staring at my damn feet. But let's change it to a sidewalk. It's totally different. If I'm walking in downtown Orlando to lunch and I'm staring at noontime, at every step at the concrete, I'm going to bang heads with somebody else, especially if they're doing it. Why? It's called a side walk because it's supposed to be safe to walk on. You're not supposed to have to be staring at every step. And if you did, it'd be dangerous. That's why we walk down the street and we're looking in to see is somebody, the person we're looking for in there eating. Or there's a new restaurant. How's it look while we're walking? Or we're talking to our friend and we're not looking. We're looking over at them and they're kind of making an expression. Or we're on our cell phone calling somebody, returning a call and walking. Whatever. We're not doing anything wrong because the circumstances are different. And then another thing came to me in this process that I communicated to the jury, but first had to believe myself. I realized one of the critical circumstances was this was one of the rare times the defense had the burden of proof. This was an affirmative defense. That means they got to prove it. And I thought, well, what is enough and what's not enough for them to meet the burden of proof? And I thought, well, some people are going to think, I'd have seen it. Other people are going to think, your client ought to have seen it, could have seen it. Well, you know what? My client could have seen it. You know what? Someone else would have seen it. So why didn't I go, whoops, back to square one? Because the circumstances showed me the light. It gave me a pathway. In those circumstances, since it was their burden of proof, I said, what do they have to show? What's enough, what's not? And I realized it's not enough to say you could have seen it. It's not enough to say someone else would have seen it. It's only enough to say my client did something wrong. She acted unreasonable. And there is absolutely nothing unreasonable or wrong about walking on a sidewalk and looking 
at other things, whether it's a bird flying by or a motorcycle making a ruckus going down the road or a turtle they're looking at and worried a car's going to hit them. And once it came to me, then we were there because I readjusted the focus to them having to prove not that someone else would see it, not that my client could have seen it, but that my client did something wrong under the circumstances that she acted unreasonable and she did not act unreasonable. And I did one other piece in jury selection. I asked the question that I always ask in a trip and fall or slip and fall. How many of you feel if someone trips and falls, or if it's a slip and fall, just change the term. How many of you feel if someone trips and falls, they must be at least partially at fault, no matter what the rest of the evidence shows? You're just telling us in all honesty, you're going to conclude you tripped, you fell, you are going to be partially at fault automatically. And we're not in all likelihood ever going to be able to convince you to the contrary. And if the defense is trying to prove fault on my client, your honest answer would be they've already won that part. How much is up in the air, but they're going to have at least some. Do you understand my question? How many of you feel that way? And are your beliefs such that you cannot assure the court that you could put them aside? And you have a right to your beliefs. Just because you got a summons and came here doesn't mean that you surrender your beliefs. You have a right to them. Your job and duty was to show up and tell us the truth. Now, how many of you feel that way? And you get those people for cause. And once you get rid of those folks, and by the way, anyone feels like that was probably biased against personal injury cases in general. So it is a great way to get a level, fair playing field. But once you've eliminated those with that kind of a bias against an injury case, particularly a trip and fall or slip and fall, the rest of this will work. Why? Because it's righteous, it's fair, it's common sense. And I ended that case by telling this jury in rebuttal, last words out of my mouth were, please bring back a verdict that recognizes what the defendant did was wrong, but also recognizes that my client, Miss Jones, did nothing wrong. She did not act unreasonably. And a verdict that recognized the magnitude of what was taken from her in the way of health. The verdict came back, seven figures, zero comparative fault. Zero. And it was not a fluke. This model will reproduce those results of zero comparative every time. And if it doesn't, and they put 5%, 10%, I'm going to be stewing because any amount was unfair. I hope you find that as helpful as we did. And I look forward to talking to you next time.